We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast where we look at the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost villainy expert. And today we're talking about Best Villain, Best Villain 2014. How are you today, Ben? I'm doing really well. Uh, yeah, um, this was a... I feel like now I am I am one to watch a movie last minute, um, but I don't think I've done like all of them in one day in a while. Um, usually, there's at least one that I've seen previously that like at least makes it so it's like not as many. But literally, all of them were watched yesterday, and I think weirdly enough, the only the last time I had to do that was for uh, the other Tom Hanks movie, Castaway. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, but that's that was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm usually able to squeak like one out ahead of time, you know, before a bunch of other stuff happens, you know. But this this time, I was just I was a busy, busy guy until that's how you notice all these connections between films. <laughs> yeah, there's a weird amount of of symmetry of rhyming uh, in the movies that we have in in the most peculiar of places. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting year for best villain nominees. Um, it's like a mix between, okay, here's your big franchise stuff with here's like weird historical villains. Just, um, and, and then the winner, like winner definitely a surprise because the film it won for doesn't even have that like good a reputation in the public consciousness so a lot to dive yeah. into here yeah very very odd match a couple like kind of based off real life events a couple of big franchise sequels and then oz <laughs> <laughs> which, which came out on you top you don't think Oz is a big franchise sequel? It's, <laughs> it's not a big sequel. I guess it is. It it's a sequel to the Wizard of Oz, I guess, or like an origin story. Well, it's like a prequel. Or, yeah, it's. Um, we will get into Oz weirdness I guess, in a <laughs> second. Um, so the 2014 MTV Movie Awards were held on April 13th. Another weird April show. Um, they were hosted by late night personality Conan O'Brien. Wonder if he did the string dance. What's that? Um. Oh, it's something from like his late night days where like he'd he'd go in and dance. It's hard to expl explain, but basically, as as if he was on strings, basically, or as if a string was going through him. Like it's. Um... Oh, oh. Well, I guess that makes sense. 
yeah. Um, the opening scene featured, yeah, which I tried to find on YouTube but could not, featured 50 celebrities making cameos. Um, including Andy Samberg, Seth Rogen, Sarah Silverman, um, <laughs> Ice Cube, Elijah Wood, Chris Pratt. Uh, I'm going to jump down a bit. Paul Rudd, Aziz Ansari, Grumpy Cat, Carrie Brownstein, Fred Armisen, Skrillex, <laughs> Demi Moore, um, Simon Helberg, Melissa Routes. Like, it just seems like the cast of The Big Bang Theory was there. And it's like, hmm. But, yeah. And then ending yeah. with Katy Perry and Jack White. So, um, winners this year, uh, Hunger Game Catching Fire won. This is another year where the best picture winner that year was also in the movie of the year category, but it didn't win. Which one's that one? 12 Years a Slave. Oh, okay. Actually, three out of five of these were movie of the year candidates. American Hustle, Wolf of Wall Street, 12 Years a Slave. And then the fifth nom in the movie of the year was The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. Uh Which is the one Hobbit (laughs) movie I've not seen. Is it the, which Hobbit movie is it? Assume it's not the the second one. Oh. <laughs> I've seen the first one. I've seen the third one. I just don't know what happens in the middle. It's a mystery. What could have happened outside of having read that book multiple times? But <laughs> I'm looking through. Oh, of course, this was the famous "We're the Millers' Best Kiss" year. <laughs> oh man. Ah, uh, not Don John. Don John year. That's a good pick. No one was weird. There were some really good kisses in these movies, um, or at the very least in like, I think there's like kind of like very cute kisses in like 12 Years a Slave and like near the beginning. And then there's like a couple of really good ones in Hunger Games. And then there's like this, a really one I really like in Oz. It's very strange that like, this was a very good kiss week, if despite it being a villain week. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's something I realized too. I'm, I'm like, you know, it's always good when we don't have a ton of overlap between m- movies and stuff. But yeah, it's something where you're like, hmm, maybe you could have switched some of these over, considering how weird the weird the Millers year of best kisses. Um, there is no best Latino actor award this year, so maybe that's just like a three year one. Um, it does have best cameo making its return after appearances in 2001 2002 and 2004 see that's so okay like having rihanna and this is the end that's so strange because this is the end isn't that just a bunch of celebrities yeah it there is a lot of cameos rihanna's not even necessarily the one i would pull if you were putting one this is the end thing forward (laughs) i don't that's so what a strange, strange pick. Okay. Similarly, she, um, yeah. yeah, she is. She did perform the monster during this award show, so maybe I don't know. Maybe she's already there. Yes. I don't know. That one I could find video of on YouTube. It's like, <laughs> you can't see the big opening, but hey, here's Eminem and Rihanna performing the monster. Um, a weird oh, thing man. too is Amy Poehler and Tina Fey get Anchorman two two nominated together but then kanye west also gets a nomination for acre man 2 and um, and unless i am forgetting something 
they're like all three of them are from the same scene like you could just go the people in the anchorman 2 fight um, yeah that's what a what a strange thing yeah. i guess like amy puller and tina fey like they're kind of like they're known for like being together i've no i've it's just what a strange thing though like yeah the whole scene is just full of cameos it's like a will smith cameo there's a bunch there might even be a weird owl one if i remember i could just be misremembering that i mean probably he does a lot of cameos yeah. and stuff um yeah yeah Anyways, best cameo, probably another potential short series option we could do. <laughs> We'd re-talk about mm. Training Day, which Snoop Dogg won for. Just Oh, yeah. Yeah, I... What else was... What was Snoop... Oh, yeah, Snoop Dogg wasn't in anything we watched. It was in... I wanted yeah. to watch... Um, What is it? This is You? What is this? What is that? It's a new movie on Netflix. What's it called? Something You. You People. You People. Um... Yeah, me and someone watched the trailer for it, and Snoop Dogg was in that trailer, so. We ended up watching Glass Onion instead, though. You, I mean, actually, I'm like, Glass Onion's a better movie, but you people, let me tell you. Well, maybe <laughs> I'll talk about it a little later on. I mean, actually, yeah. it's it a big content week. I'm not sure if I want to spend my recommendation of the week on you people, but it, it's good. Watch it. <laughs> like it's, um, you know, I save it in the back back pocket for later yeah. they also did something called favorite character which seems to just have been a way to get divergent in there <laughs> it's this category that's like trist from divergent katniss khan loki and veronica mars actually it's impressive that loki lost that one <laughs> yeah i'm also looking at that like when was the earliest like tv show that gone in here because it looks like veronica mars is a tv show um ooh, this is a no veronica mars was a tv show and then in 2013 14 i forget when it actually came out there was in fact um basically it was it was turned into a movie it was like the first movie to be or it was the first significant movie to get funding through like a kickstarter campaign Oh, okay. I, I, oh, neato. It, though, weirdly enough, the link does just take you to the Veronica Mars TV show. Yeah, someone needs to, come on. But yeah, okay. Oh, oh yeah, this was 2014, which, which means it was put out for the nomination period before it was even really able to be seen by a lot of people. Like, it came out March 14th, so there was time, but <laughs> really, they are just going, you like the TV character, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I assume with the yeah, I assume it's the same character canonically between the TV show and the movie. Anyways, it's another potential category to to look at one of these days. Favorite character, but this doesn't have any of my favorite characters. Which actually, Katniss might be up there. She's well, we'll talk about it. This might actually be a good chance to get into it there. So. For Best Villain 2014, the nominees are uh, Barkhad Abdi, Captain Phillips, Benedict Cumberbatch, Star Trek Into Darkness, Michael Fassbender, 12 Years a Slave, Donald Sutherland, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, and the winner, Mila Kunis, Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh, um... What did you what did you think of Oz the Great and Powerful? Yeah. 
So, I watched this movie last year when uh, another, when another movie podcast I listened to, Blank Check, which does kind of, yeah, basically the filmographies, the directors, did the Sam Raimi series, and Oz was there. And famously, I like this movie a lot. It's a film that a lot of people are like, this is bad, this is disastrous, what's Franco doing? And I watched this, and I'm like, hmm, waiting for this to get bad. The one notable, like, exception, like, the one thing I'm, that, the one part of this movie I thought was kind of weak and did not enjoy much was, in fact, the Mila Kunis, like, villain performance, which, it's a good performance, but they just do not come up with a good way to handle the arc of that character, and it just gets really weird. It's, what did you think yeah. of this movie? <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. It was... Yeah, it's great, right? <laughs> I, I don't know why. Like, the world and, like, the... Here's the thing. Um, This is this is Sam Raimi, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, cool. Because I, I saw, like, the... Cause I got it on... I watched it on YouTube, and I saw, like, the... From the directors of the... Or from... It said from the something of the first three Spider-Mans, and I was like, is this Sam Raimi, or are they just going for, like, a technicality, like, produced or something? Um... And you can, I think you can kind of tell with some of the, some of the directing. Um, but yeah, like, listen, I'm not going to say that on a technical level that this looks uh, like better than Alice in Wonderland. Um, but I will say that I think it looks better like as in like designs and stuff like that and like being weird looking. Um and like kind of funny uh and that's kind of the like closest comparison i have like i really love the kind of world there and i like the scary plants um i like i like the little town that the porcelain person is from and it's called chinatown that's just kind of hilarious um yeah i i thought this movie was really neat the only thing is that in the beginning it can't be that hard to put like a little bit of more grain to make it look old timey. And then like something over the audio. Like, I feel like those two things would make that beginning scene way more authentic, which is what it's clearly going for. That would be my major gripe with it. Is that like beginning scene where it's in like four by three black and white. Like it needs to look a little grainier and it needs to sound a little worse. Because uh, it just sounds too crisp. It just sounds too much like a modern movie. And it, it just yeah. sucks me out. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind that as much, but it, yeah. but it is like a good, or, yeah. I do kind of see what you're saying. If they're like going for the look of the original, then yeah, c- commit to that a bit more, but. Yeah. Oh, I, I just think it, maybe it is extremely hard to do. I don't know. I just like. It seems like it's something that you could do just in like, like Sony Vegas or something. Yeah. Just put like a radio effect over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but this movie is good. Um, Oz famously, it's a it's a property where I believe most of it is just in the public domain. Like, obviously, the one Wizard of Oz thing everyone knows is kind of the original movie. Where, whether you've seen it or not, you, like, everyone has a basic understanding. Oh, yeah, that's The Wizard of Oz. But what a lot of people don't know is there were a lot of other books. Um, this movie, I don't believe, is based on any of those books. 
But there was a lot of other books, and there's a lot of just crazy odd Oz lore. There's this film from the 80s, like, Return to Oz, which is just based on a different one of those books that gets into, like, pretty wild territory. Um, the popular thing with Oz adaptations nowadays is to just kind of do stuff from... Basically stuff that's connected to the original original film. Because um, pretty much the only thing that you can't really do because it's the movie is the ruby slippers. The ruby slippers were like an invention of the film that basically anything oh. else is fair game. Um, oh, okay, that makes sense. I was like, I was wondering if they were gonna, they were gonna come up. Yeah, no, because in the book, in the original books, they're just like silver, but because like the original, they're like we want we want to show off the Technicolor. They made them like ruby. Um, I don't know if this is true. This is just what I've always assumed for why they made that change. Um, yeah. 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 Like uh, yeah. This movie is it's really it's really neat. Um, you know. I do kind of like the idea of like, weirdly enough, um, kind of like a dirtbag protagonist. <laughs> just like, I kind of like that um, in this movie. Just like, is very, and like, you know, obviously learns by like the end, but like very much throughout the whole movie is just very self-interested and lies a lot. Um, just very, I don't know, just very entertaining for this for this kind of setting yeah and it's a role that i think franco is pretty well suited for um like the the guy who because james franco is inherently kind of sleazy it works when he's playing a character who's also just inherently kind of sleazy and yeah um, it fits yeah. yeah and then as much as he has a reputation of like sleepwalking through these things which some people argue he's doing in this film my, my counterpoint to that is always, like, watch that scene where they're in the bubbles and they're approaching, like, the barrier, and and then they're like, yeah, no, we have, like, the perfect protection. This only lets you through if you're, like, good. And he gets so scared for a sec, and then the look on his face when he's able to pass through this barrier that only lets you through if, you, if you're good, like, it, he's giving a performance in this one. And then, yeah. and then it's really fun when he's, like, a giant head at the end. With, like, the final battle that's essentially, let's put on a show to, like, trick them into thinking <laughs> we're, like, better than we are. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I also, I like how this, this movie does have, like, a lot of, like, really neat, uh, like, fantasy characters. Or, like, fantasy monsters that only show up for, like, a second. So, like, there's, like, these plants with, like, glowing eyes that look yeah. really neat. Um, but... The quote-unquote cowardly lion that's only in the beginning is just a lion, just a regular lion. Yeah, I guess that's just some <laughs> paying like homage to the original story in there, but yeah, yeah. it's just goofy. Yeah. Um, also, the first time I watched this film, I had to pause the movie after the introduction of the Munchkins because I laughed so hard. I just how they set up that like they're these <laughs> big guys, and then like they're like ah, and then it's like a big song and dance. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man! I also like uh. I like Zach Braff in the beginning, and I like that he gets to continue on through the movie as the as the winged monkey. Um, yeah, 
this, even he though even though oh, this sorry. never returns to the real world, it does kind of take the original's conceit that pretty much every character has, or many of the characters have parallels to the like real world, like. The little China girl is the girl in the wheelchair from the beginning. Um, and then, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Zach Braff's really good in this. Just... Yeah, it's a shame he kind of, like, it's a shame he kind of disappears for, like, the last half of the movie almost. Which, like, I don't know, there's other things going on. Yeah, you kind of have to focus on, like, Glinda and the main munchkin guy for that, like, yeah. last bit. But... Yeah, I wish Bill Cobbs got more uh time uh in the movie because he's like i feel like he's like one of like the main people at the end they just kind of felt weird yeah bill yeah bill cobbs like he shows up and then he takes a lot of stuff apparently according to wikipedia he's later supposed to be the guy who builds the tin the tin man okay i guess that (laughs) i guess that's why he's there yeah he's like leader of the tinkers so it's kind of a so it's kind of like a prequel thing but yeah. Yeah, but he's good. Like Tony Cox as like Nuck, or or like old sourpuss as he calls him, just the Errol and like stuff, and just <laughs> yeah, that's always that was really good too. Yeah. 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 No. Um. Kind of like you said though, one of the unfortunate things about this movie is some of the villains or like yeah Mila Kunis. Listen, I have nothing. I have nothing against a lady turning into a big evil green witch and just being evil, evil. You um, encourage it, even. I encourage. I. I was. You. You have no idea how happy I was when she turned green. I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" Because yeah. <laughs> I was like, "I'm sick of these. I'm sick of these witches just looking like regular people. Like they should be green with warts and all these things and ride on brooms." Um, so that was really good um but uh i don't know what it is i think mila kunas i think it's hard i think it's hard to be an evil convincing witch i think you have to have a very very like shrill voice and like she's trying but it just doesn't quite it doesn't quite hit and it's not helped by that like the story is pretty contrived and confusing um were there three like are they all three of them are they all witches yeah so that is that is kind of the thing and in the book i want to feel there's like a fourth witch or like and they combine glinda and a different character but yeah because in the original movie it's the wicked witch of the east who gets the house dropped on her and then there's glinda and then kind of the wicked witch of the west is sort of there so all three of these people characters are like witches or actually now i'm trying to remember if like mila kunis is even like a witch in the beginning because rachel wise is sort of the twist villain well this is this is where i think it's clever because every you kind of know when they're like yeah glinda she's evil and you're like no she's not so you're kind of (laughs) expecting there to be some kind of twist there and it is interesting that like you know to reveal that oh yeah this is the this is kind of the witch of the east like even nora and then she has like this necklace and makes her you know look oh oh yeah because i also have to explain that because the one glimpse you get of the wicked witch of the east she is this like old hag looking thing so you have to explain how rachel wise looks like rachel wise for um a lot of it but 
yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the idea is like they are like yeah, they are like magic users. And then I think part of the issue is there is of course a great thing soon to be a major motion picture kind of that uses the Wizard of Oz mythology to explain here's here's the real story of the Wicked Witch of the West. It's called Wicked. Um and <laughs> the issue with doing uh, what was Oz like the four Dorothy thing is when you're not Wicked is you just can't do what they did with Wicked. So that starts in a similar place where they're like, uh, this one's good, but then what? rather than have it where uh, she is still effectively good the whole time and time there, like, it, it just feels like there is maybe a way to kind of square it to where she kind of turns against them without having to take a magic evil potion. And then they try to, like, have it later where they're like, you can turn back. She's like, no, I choose to be this. But yeah, you're not really <laughs> buying it. <It's... laughs> yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the apple is very unnecessary. I feel like she already was, like, not super happy with, I guess it's to, yeah. like, to bridge the sort of transformation more than it is like the character but like yeah but like it's more interesting if this is something she's doing all along and it's not influenced by she bit an apple that brought out like this evil (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's very very strange um yeah no not the not the best thing in the world um yeah which but she is having like again i think kunis is having like fun once she's like green and also in that part where she's just really naive naive and stuff too like she has those couple things well it's just she doesn't really get the opportunity to play a more complex character because she has to bite an apple part way through and yeah I, i feel like this movie would almost be better despite i think um rachel rachel wise is putting on a really good villain performance i do like her scenes and like her performance and everything but like I feel like this movie would almost be better if she wasn't in it and it was just um it was just uh Theodora and Glinda and Theodora would just become evil on her own because she's just mad that Oz is, you know, with Glinda. Like I feel like that would have been so much more interesting. Um yeah, I don't know. Like or, or if- it's just or if, like, Theodora, like, if they were able to delay it so she doesn't tur- really turn evil or, like, it's kind of right near the end. Well, I guess it's complicated because then why wouldn't she know that he was still alive? Um, but Yeah, and, like, oh, man, it is, it is tough. Um, and it's, man, I feel like, here's the thing. We, l- we love these. We both love this movie. So, like, our critiques are going to be, like, so, like, like refined and nuanced and, like, very almost nitpicky. Yeah. Um, but, like, one thing that I, I think I would have loved is that, because, um, listen, I love the green. I love the green witch. But I think what it would have made the design, I think, a little cooler. And you know what? Crucifying me, I might be wrong. She might already have this. Is that if she still had like the tear streak scars? Because I I loved that. That like when she started crying, it like made these like scars. That because she's the witch, she can't get wet with water. Oh um, yeah. I thought those were so cool. And like, wouldn't that have been so cool 
if those got integrated into her green design. Um, I don't know. There's something there. There's something there, you know. Sam Raimi, like, you know, I what a maybe talentless hack, you know. Let me make the Spider-Man movies. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I love I love Sam Raimi. Also, I'm pretty sure I saw because I think one of the guards is um, what's his name? The guy that's in all the Sam Raimi movies, the the Evil Dead guy, uh, Bruce, Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like when they're. When they're like, uh, I think when Franco is disguised as a guard or as a guard, and then I think, um, oh, what is it? Tony Tony Cox like hits him on the head with his little scepter. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm trying to see like uh, the Wikipedia thing does not mention him in there, but it would not surprise me. Oh, uh, I, th- I see Bruce Campbell. Right, right below Tony Cox is oh. like a bunch of people that were oh yeah because oh yeah because later on they talk they talk about oh how he often casts his friends and regulars and roles because uh, Ted Raimi who he's the guy in the Spider Man movies who works at the Daily Bugle and is like uh, how about Doctor Octopus is like no that's stupid like that <laughs> that's that guy basically so he gets to be the one at the magic show who's like I see the wire like just. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is a good movie. Um it's maybe the only podcast on the circuit who's willing to say that, but yeah. Th- this film it just I know well Sam Raimi of course has a re- reputation for you know he made all this like cool horror stuff er- earlier on in his career and then now you know he's kind of doing a lot of like franchise things, so I think that's part of it where they're like we just want him to Make something like even like Drag Me to Hell in two thousand nine, which was him returning to those roots. But I don't know. My my thing is people should reconsider this movie, not necessarily the movie, but you know, let it surprise you. You might just might be won over. Yeah, yeah. I I honestly, yeah. I I don't think I've ever seen any of the Sam Raimi like uh, any of the his like horror stuff. But like you can very clearly tell that he injects a lot of like. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that are like kind of horrific but like are given like a little bit of a a little bit of uh like there i don't know there are just like so many scenes that are like actually like really scary um or like kind of almost because like i think like the the legs being broken off the girl like that's a that's kind of almost body horror and then a bunch of spikes are coming at him in the in the balloon in the tornado um and the plants I mentioned earlier. Like, there's a lot of, like, horror elements you can clearly, like, see in it. Oh, yeah, no, you can definitely see that influence. If you like movies where the final confrontation is just, like, them using trickery and then smoke screens and literally, like, just James Franco faking his death to become, like, a big face that shoots fireballs. <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'll, and like you know what? I think a movie's done a good job, where uh, I guess we've already spoiled it. But like, where right up until they reveal the fake out, I'm like, it's totally possible that he's just leaving. Like, I know that's not how the movie's gonna end, but like, I didn't know at what point he was going to actually like turn around. Yeah, like because they do a job where he is like kind of the reluctant hero. 
Also, I do like at the end where they do kind of do the original thing where he just gives out, like, gifts. So it's like, oh, here's the smiley face mask. And then, yeah, here's... Though, like, some of the guests, again, are just more metaphorical. Because certainly China Girl is like, look, this is your family now. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's better than the original gifts. I think the original gifts were nothing. It was just you had it in you all along. Also, China Girl was, of course, Joey King, who played young Talia Al Ghul in The Dark Knight Rises last week. Oh, super neat. Yeah. And uh, and is also, like, the Steve Carell's daughter in Crazy Stupid Love. Um, Man. For, for podcast-specific things we have covered. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, do we got anything else to say on Oz the Great and Powerful? No, just a... Uh... Very solid movie. I was very surprised. Well, how'd you liked it? Like, I'm like, I hope he likes it. <laughs> yeah, I was like watching it, and I was like, I was like, this is like really. Well, I mean, like, I think I just, I think I just like Sam Raimi as like a director, and like, I think it's just kind. Of, even with all my gripes with it about little things, like that's coming off of like a very good experience with it. Um, I'm also like, I was also like really happy when I heard Zach Braff coming out of the monkey, because I was like, oh no, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I need my Braff next. Yeah, exactly. I don't get a lot of Braff. Yeah. yeah. But with that, we can yeah, move on to Captain Phillips, a movie which I forgot how much of that is them, like, after the hijacking, where they're, like, on a lifeboat together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they spend very little time, like, in the actual, like, boat, big boat. And a, I would say half the movie's probably spent in, like, the little life raft. It's funny because, obviously, this movie's big legacy is, uh, yeah, is, you know, Barca, Barca, Cobdy's, like, kind of improvised line, I'm the captain now. Which, you know, got, got a lot of pra praise and stuff, and, yeah, really, he's kind of, I think he definitely is the most, yeah, n or sort of the most memorable part of this film, which I, I do like a lot, but it's funny, because when you hear I'm the captain now, you're like, oh yeah, and then he takes over the ship, and you're like, no, he very much just, we, like, kind of, like, the hijacking mostly fails, except they take Tom Hanks hostage, like, partway through. Yeah, no, that was definitely, like, from just, like, the quote, which is the only thing I, I'd never seen this movie before. Um, I definitely was like, oh, he's gonna, like, get the whole boat, and it's gonna be, like, this big, like, tense, like, um, diehard-style movie on a boat, and it's like, no, it's just a lot of this movie is, like, very, like, this very cramped, claustrophobic... Um, and then SEAL Team 6 comes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what did you think of this movie? Oh, I, uh, I really liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was neat. It's just a nice little, um, it's a nice little, uh, kind of like tense, I don't know if thriller is the right word, but it's, it's a suspension movie. It's a movie where, like, everything's very tense, um, and yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty neat, honestly. Yeah, it's funny because Tom Hanks has done a lot of films in kind of the back half of his career, where he, where you know, he's like, 
a captain or a pilot, like, he is the competent professional. And he gets through the situation through his professionalism. I thought this movie was an interesting, like, take on that, where, obviously, it is him kind of knowing the right thing to do at pretty much every moment. But then, at the end, that's what makes the end of the movie so in interesting, is when you realize that, no, no, he was terrified the entire time. Like, just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And him getting to have that kind of emotional break at the end. Yeah. I also, I feel like, um, I think one of the things that made me think that more of the movie was going to take place in the big boat is that they set up kind of early on, like, I think there was like a throwaway line that I guess was just a throwaway line. It was, it didn't come back, um, was like, make sure your keys are in your pocket. Like once someone has those, they have access to every part of the ship. And that, that just never came up. That was just maybe an unintentional red herring or something. Um. Yeah. For the people who like weren't familiar with the real yes, history that this movie is based off of, you're like, wow how how come this didn't conform to more like movie tropes? <laughs> Just, um... Exactly. <laughs> but interesting, this film was from the director of three out of four, or. I guess there's been five of them, but but basically the of the Born Identity sequels. It's the director of kind of Supremacy and Ultimatum. Oh, neat. Yeah, as well as the Jason Bourne movie, which is kind of the failed attempt to reboot the the franchise. There, so you know, someone who's like I think done a lot of kind of action thriller type stuff, and it definitely serves well for building the tension in this movie. Um, also did United 93, subject of the parody <laughs> United 300. Um, uh, yeah. Now, um, Barakat er, is doing like a pretty, he's doing like a really, really good job in this movie. Because like a lot of his, because um, I feel like a lot of his character is more just like, his sort of um his like gestures and like his expressions and like the way he sort of um is like handling things um just because like his dialogue is either um trying to is it they're speaking i'm assuming is is somali in a language or is um, there a different i believe it's a language I'm now going to double check that because I don't want us on the record for like saying, oh yeah, it's a language if it is not, but okay. Yes. Somali is an official language in Somalia and Ethiopia. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that's what they're speaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like a lot of this movie, like a lot of um, his scenes are just like, sort of looking at him and like trying to read him because he's very much very very much in over his head and like as the movie progresses he just it just gets like very very that it's like the very very clear on his face that that's happening um which i think he does a phenomenal job of oh yeah no he's great um yeah but yeah so barkhead obby who like comedy who and we don't always talk about the actors who do these things, but it is worth mentioning in this this case that 
this was like his very first experience with the film industry. Like he'd been working at his basically a shop his brother owned. And he returned to that after this film, which he was like paid $65,000 for. Like I remember it being kind of a thing around like uh, Oscar season where they're like, Oh, th this guy, like it's, uh, yeah, they were shot that, you know, it's not like his life was turned around. He was still kind of struggling for money a bit and, kind of back to that and he's done some stuff since then but yeah this was kind of his er this very but for like your very first performance in a movie like i think and first of all it's it's very good that they actually cast uh somalian actors to play the somali pirates in this like but it's very good when you're not having people like pretend or put on a voice because that adds to some authenticity but yeah but he does a really good job selling both yeah kind of that confidence and also sort of that raw panic and like his confusion at the end of the movie when he's somehow like the only one of them who actually gets to survive like um, yeah <laughs> oh exactly yeah and he plays off of tom hanks really well Oh, yeah, like this, yeah, very much like this is another really good, like, protagonist villain combo. Like, yeah. I mean, Tom Hanks is squarely the protagonist, but he's definitely like the second kind of protagonist of the thing. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll say part of the reason I was surprised when it kind of moves off the ship is they do spend a lot of time establishing the officers of the ship yeah they're and you're going around yeah they do like oh yeah he it's like there's ethan i'm like oh it's just like a friend of the show ethan it was like there's kenny just like host of the show kenny it's like <laughs> when's ben showing up <laughs> yeah exactly no they yeah they do spend like yeah a lot of time sort of like setting up stuff happening on the ship um yeah. like where they're hiding and everything like that but everything like that goes really like smoothly i guess yeah because it is just a real event they're trying to to mimic as best they can so like i guess that's just how how it would have been yeah it's one of those films that it has a nice thing of like forward momentum the whole way through it's just really propulsive like there's no real slow moments even when a lot of it is just them on the light lifeboat like there's still all this tension as he tom hanks is just trying to like figure out how to communicate and just kind of turn the situation to his advantage like oh yeah yeah and like you said it all sort of like it is kind of a uh God, what was it i think the scene like after i think this kind of there's two two sort of like the tom hanks or like breakdown scenes is the there's the one where he's like in the boat right after the the three of the three um the three uh pirates get shot and there's also the one where he's like in like the being like taken care of by like the doctor um and that yeah that one the one scene like right after the sort of like the triple the triple uh kill and he's just sort of like he's just screaming and it's they hold on yeah. it for so long <laughs> Yeah, because he's also blindfolded and is pretty sure they're about to execute him, even though he knows that, like, the ships <laughs> ships are there. So at his kind of that really tense moment, and yeah, his performance, like, 
you do kind of buy him as someone who thinks they are about to die. Like, oh yeah, it is. It is yeah, very very convincing. Yeah, and then you did. I know. I know. I have to look up like a award stuff for what yeah, uh, what this film got because. I know, I know Barkhog that's nominated. Um, okay, yeah. So, wait. I was looking at Gold, Golden Globes or something. Um, oh, no, he did not get Best Actor nominated for Academy Award. Right? That was one of the snubs that year. Um, but he was nominated for Best Actor in a Drama at the Golden Globes. Oh, nice. So yeah, do we got anything else to say on old Captain Phillips? Oh man, um, not much else. It's just, it's just a very, like, it's a movie that, like, it's weird, because when you think about it, it's not a lot happens, but it does always feel like it's moving forward. I wonder if it's mainly because they're literally always moving forward because they're in a boat. Um, so yeah, no, it's a wonderful wonderful film with two like amazing actors yeah definitely a film that i think could be a lot worse if it didn't have these two ones because it is what i call one of those movies where when you think about it there's not really much of a story like the story becomes kind of the kind of conflict between these two men and like both and both things they're kind of perfectly pitched um very strong performance this week and something where everything is exactly as it seems. Unlike another film, <laughs> Star Trek Into <laughs> Darkness. Yeah, um, this one's like the sequel. This one's the sequel to like the rebooted one with these same actors, right? Yes, and th this is the second of the kind of three films. I think they call it the Calvinverse. Like there's... There's some designation for this alternate timeline that these movies take place in. Yeah, no, I'm. I don't think I've seen an entire episode of any Star Trek at all. Um, but I'm pretty sure I did see the first movie of this say, rebooted franchise. Considering how big your dad is into star trek <laughs> like it's crazy oh, you've yeah. never seen any like I, star trek yeah stuff. Oh, I've, I've picked up a few things like i know i know a healthy chunk about it um but i very much like very much never think sat through a whole episode what did, i guess what did you think of the movie it's kind of a mess this is another <laughs> one i saw in this is another one i saw in theaters and it's kind of like J.J. Abrams, you know, he he's directed some stuff I really enjoy. Um, Force Awakens, like the original Star Trek, Super 8, and then eh, Mission Impossible 3, I'm kind of up in there. And then, like, and then he's also directed, like, this film and Rise of... Uh, this is better, a lot better than Rise of Skywalker, actually, I'll say that, because this at least has seeds of something kind of interesting, but, um... It is, it is a film that, I don't know, I think there is something compelling into the idea of, okay, we're looking early on to Kirk and Spock's relationship, and the idea of, here are these two men with different kind of worldviews, and here's how they clash, 
and here's how they realize they kind of need each other and like how they sort of realize what they do to each other and them looking into their own values and going okay what's sort of different here and like that, that stuff i think is good there's i know part of the thing with star trek is the federation is supposed to be utopian so whenever you introduce ideas of this guy's kind of corrupt it can like ruffle fe feathers with stuff but i do think there's something interesting interesting there but a lot of it comes down to um there there is a very famous star trek movie called wrath of khan it was the sequel to the original star trek the motion picture it introduced a character called khan and it was great and then this film is something where its biggest flaw is it's trying to be Wrath of Khan, but it's also trying to hide that it's doing Wrath of Khan. And uh, Ben, you wouldn't know this, but a very famous thing is as this was coming out, they're like, Benedict Cumberbatch. And everyone's like, oh, he's playing Khan? Or like, no, no, he's playing John Smith. Or I don't think that's the character's name, <laughs> but just something like horribly generic. Just <laughs> like John Harrison. Yeah, oh, John Harrison. Like, <laughs> And everyone's like, no, he's playing Khan. They're like, no, no, he's not playing Khan. <laughs> and then partway through the movie, they're like, guess what? He's Khan. <laughs> and you're just going to say, they're like, yeah, we figured that out. I don't know. Like, what did you think of this? On the, on um, this? Yeah, I think early on, I was like, I think much like Star Wars, the prequels i was trying to like i was like what if this was just a generic sort of sci-fi movie and had no ties to anything which was really easy because i don't know anything about star trek so i could just sort of evaluate it on its own merits and it's it's all right it's there are some very good performances um i do like both Simon Pegg and Carl Urban. I do like both of theirs. Um, I think it's always very, very tough. And I'm assuming the original Star Treks do this really well. But when you tell me that like there's a character and his like trait is that he like doesn't show any emotions, I feel like that's very difficult to make interesting in the span of one movie maybe over a tv show but in like one movie there's kind of like there's not a lot you can do very much like will smith in after earth um it's very tough when that's like the one character trait um so like i don't want to i don't want to speak you did not any... just you did not just compare one of the most popular fictional characters of all time to Will Smith in After Earth. Listen, that's what I'm saying. Is that I'm saying, you know, Spock, like the character. I feel like over the course of a TV show, you can establish something. But I feel like over the course of like a movie, even two movies, I think you have a very hard time. Um, so like, I that's why like I that's why like I don't I don't fault zachary quinto for any of my my not super enthusiastic feelings about his performance is that i feel like that's like the character um 
and they, they do have like some good scenes in it um but i think one place where i feel like this movie really kind of soured for me a little bit um on the opposite token where i very much enjoyed the oz's like world i feel like this movie like starts on a pretty i'd say like a decently visually interesting alien world and then it's nothing but like space and spaceships for like the rest of it and like a future town that looks like the place in the first guardians of the galaxy and it's just all kind of boring to look at yeah that's the other kind of like big issue with this film is that just a weird amount of it is just them on their like the spaceships and then yeah. even when they're even when they're like kind of going onto this planet it's not that exciting um <laughs> yeah and like i get it's like the opening scene but like i don't know i don't know much about star trek but isn't like a lot i know a lot of star trek i feel like half of star trek is spent on like a ship and that makes sense but i feel like another huge aspect of star trek is them like visiting other planets and other worlds um but like yeah a lot yeah. of this is just on one of two ships <laughs> that look yeah, the I think same a lot of, especially the classic star trek a lot of it is they go to a planet there's this kind of conflict that breaks out and occasionally you do have some problem like that comes up on a ship or they get on like a standoff. But yeah, you do kind of wish there was more stuff kind of going on in a planet. Like I'll say Star Trek Beyond, which was made after this um, from yeah, from like Justin Lin, who did a lot of like Fast and Furious stuff, is really good and is more of a they go to a planet and have like a wacky ad adventure type movie, though. I think that one also, it, it does come back to some point where, you know, there's some space space or something that gets attacked, but I do remember it being more visually interesting than a lot of this. Like, the big climax is, oh no, the ship's going to crash into San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, because in Wrath of Khan, um, you may have been confused by a sequence where Kirk, like, sacrifices himself and then they bring him back, like, a few scenes later. Just... <laughs> yeah. So, so Wrath of Khan famously ends with it's sort of a similar setup. They've like beat they beat Khan, and there's an issue with the warp core. But the stakes here is like there's literally like this device, this Genesis device that's gonna like blow up a planet or do something crazy to a planet. That like the stakes are a lot less survivable than maybe they'll crash into like the ocean some somewhere. And Spock sacrifices himself, and it's a similar deal, like, down to the staging of it. But then they spend essentially two movies, like, Spock comes back, but that becomes the th part of the thing of the next couple movies. It's them trying to figure out, oh, is Spock alive? What What's this? Whereas this one, they can't even come... Oh yeah, that's another issue I have with this movie is... Um, it open it opens with Kirk breaking the Prime Directive to save Sp Spock's life, and oh, though it hasn't even been called the Prime Directive yet, that becomes part of it where they're like, we're renaming it the Prime Directive so everyone knows it's important. <laughs> but he gets demoted and kicked off his ship, oh. and then and he's supposed to be like first officer, and then four scenes later, um, all the captains blow up and he becomes captain again. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, just there's a lot of things like that also like so 
Spock Prime, is that just like future Spock? That's like Spock in the future? Sort of. So, because like, uh, listen, I luckily have absorbed enough knowledge through my dad and like parody stuff that like when I saw an older Spock in like robes, I wasn't a hundred percent William Shatner. <laughs> exactly. But like what is the deal, I guess? <laughs> um yeah. That goes back to the plot of Star Trek two thousand nine, which involves basically someone, um essentially it is kind of time travel stuff, but the idea is Spock Prime comes from the timeline of the original show and he and the villainous and he and the villain of Star Trek 2009 kind of get transported back into time where Star Trek 2009 villain this like changes the timeline by blowing up Spock's home planet so, and in the end it's like so this is the Spock from the original show who is now kind of back in a different timeline and doesn't really, like, have a way to get back, so he just kind of stays around and hangs out. And then he kind of oh. quietly dies, like, between the second and third movies, because Leonard Nimoy passed away. Okay, so, I... Yeah, so, so, Scott, so Spock Prime is a new invention for yeah. these rebooted movies. Um, or that's a new in... Yeah, as a device, yeah. It's more less a... He yeah, he's both like the future version of the character, but also a different version of the character. Yeah, but like in it's like, like the different in it's the different timeline multiverse yeah, stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so when he is talking to Zachary Spock and they talk about how like you also fought Khan at some point. They're talking about that original Khan fight. And when he says like Okay, so when he says that, like, okay, we fought him, and like, but at great sacrifice, he's talking about his own death. His, yes. Okay, that makes so yeah. much more sense because, like, in my head, I thought this was just okay. This is clearly future Spock from the same universe, and I was like, why did he tell Spock that it came at great sacrifice if Kirk is going to be alive again? It, for some weird reason, it actually does make sense what he's saying now. Is that it did come at great sacrifice. It came at his own death for at least two movies. Yeah, because the movie's teeing up, oh, are we gonna kill Spock? And yeah, I, they don't, because they can't commit to stuff. No, like exactly. Well, because like, in my head, because I thought it was, I thought they were both the same Spock, same timeline. So I was like, I thought when he said it came at great sacrifice, I was like, oh, someone has to die, or this is gonna be stupid. It turns out, Nobody has to die. This is going to be stupid. And it was stupid. <laughs> it was yeah. stupid. Um, but a different kind of stupid, which I can appreciate. <laughs> yeah, no, they're referring to the events of, like, that movie. And then also, Khan came from an episode of the original TV show, too. But yeah, because the idea there is one of the ripple effects of the timeline getting changed is Khan gets discovered sooner. And then kind of is, like, released and freed sooner. Okay. Because his whole backstory, too, is, like, he's a genetically modified superhuman from, like, an alternate Earth. And kind of genocidal. But they skirt over that a bit. Um, But, anyways, Cumberbatch is fine. Like, Yeah, I think he's he's doing okay. Um, 
yeah, there's not much to like work with because like I don't know. He's a he's a specific brand of sci-fi villain that I don't find very interesting. I guess um, where it's like pretty stoic, pretty evil. I like my sci-fi villains to be like kind of fun <laughs> and like a, yeah. a at least a tinge goofy. They also do the thing where he pretends to be on the, on. Like, their side, which I guess the tension is, if you know who Khan is, you know he's, like, against them. But then it just makes everyone look really stupid for trusting him. Like, I think a more interesting movie is if it's not Khan and if the villain is just the Starfleet guy. <laughs> yeah, very, very strange. <laughs> yeah, so... Do we have anything else to say on Into Darkness? Uh, no, no. Um, R.I.P. Anton Yelchin, who plays Shekhov and, of course, who tragically died, like, I think shortly after this. Maybe he's, no, no, he was in Beyond, I think, um, but hmm. he he's good at him. Um, yeah, just, also, funny scene, Zoe Saldana, not in blue. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Other than that, yeah, we can move. We can move on to Twelve Years a Slave. Ah, oh, man, another Benedict Cumberbatch is back in this movie as well. Um, briefly. Yeah. Um, as we're... a slightly less bad slave owner, but still here's, a slave owner. Here's the thing: is that I think he delivers one of like the most evil lines um where he like gives him the violin and he's like it's like he says something to the effect of like you know it'll you know i hope you appreciate it for years and i was like jesus christ <laughs> that's so horrible um yeah <laughs> which like yeah so like yeah it's this movie um, there's not a lot to talk about, I would say, because this movie is, like, aside from maybe the first five minutes, or even, there's even, yeah, sorry, not the first five minutes, but, like, after a little bit of, of flash forward, um, and then a couple minutes of him playing violin, it's just nothing but, like, brutal, agony, like, horrible, um, uh, for, like, the entire movie it's it's well done it's well performed um but i think i think you said something to the to the effect of like great movie never want to see it again <laughs> yeah i feel the exact same way i feel like this is very much a very in a very similar way to uh boys don't cry is that like very visceral very quote quote unquote good like good making movie don't know if i'm ever gonna watch it again because it is just h horrible to sit through yeah like it is a good good film and i think that's part of it like you know we look at these films i think when we we're talking the help a couple weeks ago where you have that thing of you know every other white character is like oh but i'm like one of the good ones and this and then this film which you know 
directed by like yeah, directed by like Steve McQueen, who yeah, yeah, who, who he's a very good. Yeah, he's one of the kind of the more prominent sort of black filmmakers, I would say, largely for like this, this film, and uh, he's made a lot of stuff. Not all of which is like as this is definitely the heaviest thing he's made, but um, definitely I think it is very good a a white guy did not make this movie, and. But also one of the results of that is it is kind of like unflinching and is sort of confronting these, yeah, the these like cruelties in a way that, yeah, it's probably like kind of bracing and necessary to like be reminded how horrible like slavery was as an institution and, and in on everything. But yeah, like it is very odd that this film got nominated for multiple MTV Movie Awards, given the nature of this award show. <laughs> what, everyone watched Eminem perform, and then they're like, and now let's talk about 12 Years a Slave a bit. It also makes Best Villain interesting from our perspective of who should have won, because it's like, ethically, can we really say someone who was not the who's not the literal slave owner like should win Best Villain this year? Like... Hmm. yeah ah it is it is tough he here's the thing even if even uh, that aside i think he is like very evil and is definitely like the bringer of probably the most um horrible deeds out of all the villains that we have this week um so like yeah it is oh man <laughs> yeah it's like, if Hitler ever gets the best villain nomination, we kind of have to give it to... Well, I guess that would depend on the performance. <laughs> if, it's, if it's a shoddy performance. Fassbender is giving Hitler. a very good performance. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If it's another Jojo Rabbit, <laughs> oh, I'm goofy Hitler, ah! Like... <laughs> yeah, no, it's... um, It is a very good, bad performance. Like, it is... Um, yeah this movie oh man it is it it is hard it is hard to watch it is it's i feel like the the ending is kind of like you feel good at the ending but you feel a little hollow too yeah which again is sort of the point. Like this is based on, as like the titles, like you know, this is like based on an actual slave narrative memoir. It is fairly factual, though. I guess the there is some debate within like kind of criti- like historical historian circles on if some events in the book were kind of there because to just sort of reflect other slave narratives on the time, like. Not doubting that he actually went through this stuff, but if narratively, if there was like a bit of invention from other slave experience experiences, I do think the movie, like the stuff on the ship, apparently is not in like the historical record as having happened. So there are points too where, yeah, it is interesting to look at this film from a perspective of like. Should anything really have been added to this from what it was like? Because 
obviously, there's enough awful stuff. Do we need to add more awful things? But, but yeah, we probably don't have to have a very long 12 Years is a Slave yeah. segment where we talk about, about this a lot. I will say, unlike Boys Don't Cry or Lolita getting nominated, like, other this film is a, I think, a lot, like, a lot better than, I mean, significantly better than, like, Lolita, and I know you like Boys Don't Cry a bit more than, like, I did uh, at the time, but I would say, like, I was not angry I had to watch this. Definitely a bit kind of... I guess confusion yeah, was more Yeah, especially, it just it like, fits. Depending on the order in which you watch these movies, it might create a little whiplash. Um, I feel like Captain Phillips might be, like, a pretty good buffer movie between this and, like, like the sci-fi and, like, adult or young adult novel dystopias. Um, which I, I don't know if I did. Maybe unintentionally, but... <laughs> Maybe we should have switched the order so we talked about this yeah. one last. It's going to be so <laughs> weird when I suddenly just get into my, like, Hunger Games yeah, bullshit well, again. But Yeah, I mean, you saw my Venn diagram, so I do have the perfect transition topic um, whenever we're ready. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's spare the audience <laughs> of us just trying to figure out how to talk about this movie more. I, I think everyone yeah. gets why it is difficult to talk in this specific context, so, hey. Yeah. Please yeah, exactly, now but... explain how many of these <laughs> movies are connected. So, I sent Kenny a Venn diagram yesterday, because one of the benefits of watching five movies in a row is that you get to notice all of the little similarities they have. So, my Venn diagram is pretty much, it's... The, on one side, you have uh, CGI baboons, and on the other, you have a uh, whipping scene. I didn't add this, but whipping scene where you see their back after. So under CGI baboons, we have the Oz, the Great and Powerful, um, has some CGI baboons that fly. On the right, we obviously have uh, 12 Years a Slave. And oddly, a movie that took these two elements and needed them together um, right in the middle is Hunger Games Catching Fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, like... Yeah, it was very funny when you sent that to me. You're like, Hunger Games also has a whipping scene? And at first it was like, huh? Because I definitely <laughs> watched these films like one after another and at no point when, like, obviously there's a couple of days apart, but at no point when watching the whipping scene in Hunger Games did I go, oh, of course, like, 12 years a slave. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was so, I, listen, I didn't like it at all, because, like, I, I had just, um, I had just finished 12 years a slave, and I was like, okay, time for some Hunger Games, you know, little less heavy, and then, and then it decided to do it again. Uh, it was, it was not, uh, not pleasant. Um, it was strange though. Um, yeah. I'm also glad that I took a good look at the Wikipedia page and realized that, oh, it's the sequel. I thought originally that it was this, the first one again. Um, that's kind of what I had been in my head thinking about. So I'm glad it wasn't. Um, 
because I actually I actually thoroughly enjoyed this one much more than the first one. Hell yeah, yeah. This is the film I believe like it's commonly thought of like the best of the Hunger Games movies. Um, that this is definitely a film where I think I mentioned this the last time we talked Hunger Games, where every time I like read or watch Hunger Games, I'm like, oh right, I love Hunger Games. Like and then just get really like I re I get into like a YA franchise that has action, but. Honestly, my take with this film is kind of the actual Hungarian portion is the weakest part, but that's also sort of a good thing. Like, I like that it's a film that's sort of about those kind of, like, politics and games and public image and, like, sort of the games within games that go kind of behind rebellion and war. Like, um, That being said, I think this one definitely does the Hunger Games aspect better than the first. Yeah. At least from my perspective. It has a um, different director, like Francis Lawrence. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so there's actually more action bits, and you get to see this, or see a bit yeah. more. Though it helps that it's not a bunch of teenagers fighting each other this time. It's like a lot of adults. Um, yeah, and like adults that like have like a slightly exaggerated character. Like they're all very distinct. Like. There's, like, the two, like, genius ones. There's the camouflage ones. There's the guy who just has his, I think, is, like, his mentor mommy and a trident. Um, <laughs> like, that's just, that, it's it's silly, but, like, that's really important. I think giving your character a trident is better than not giving your character a trident. Yeah, it's really good. Good, um. You didn't even go with the flirt or something. Yeah, Finnick, who becomes pretty big in kind of the third book, like, uh, pretty big character. Well, I think a bit more in the movies. He's still in the book, but then also the book, he dies so suddenly that you kind of miss it. And then, until you're a few pages in, and then you're flipping back to go, wait, what happened to Finnick? And you're like, oh, um... But, Aww. yeah, spoilers for Mockingjay, which I don't know if we co- we cover those. Like, we don't for best villain, but I kind of like the idea that this is sort of a reverse Twilight where we cover one of these films, but in different categories. Like, just... <laughs> yeah. yeah, to finally get the complete picture. I'll say, this is a film, and sometimes, you know, in best villain, like, not having a lot of screen time often will work against a character, but I'll say Donald Sutherland, like, that initial scene with him, which is pretty much the beginning of the movie with his confrontation with Katniss over stuff. He is, like, electric as this guy who only has several scenes, only a couple of which where he actually interacts with the protagonist of the movie. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I really like him. Um, in classic Ben fashion, uh, I try not to look at which villain we're covering until I've watched all the movies. Um, so I wasn't sure if it was going to be like him or there was a second where I thought it was going to be like that. I'm not sure if he comes back, but that one like soldier, um, I think though, I think he was like the whipper. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure. I wasn't sure if it was him or the, what his really famous actor, but I cannot. Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's, that makes sense. That name. Yeah, oh yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I wasn't sure if it was 
which one was going to be. But yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad it was Donald. I like Donald. Yeah, I mean Philip Seymour Hoffman. He is a twist good guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the very, the very end. It's yeah. very kind of. Uh... Yeah, no, I, man, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hooked now. I kind of want to watch the other, the other one of these. Um, I don't know. I here's the thing. I, I am not a fan of when movies have final book part one and part two. I don't know why. I don't think it's for any quality reasons. I think it is just the fact that it's called that part one and that part two. Um, I would just just give them different names. Yeah. <laughs> just give it like whatever whatever chapter you stopped at in the first movie. Just call that the second movie. Splitting yeah, I mean splitting up the books. Harry Potter was kind of the first one to do it, and for there, it kind of made sense because a lot happens in that last book. But then, other stuff, I think Hunger Games, a couple other things have tried it since then, and it is, some. there's sometimes where it kind of makes sense, and sometimes we're like, okay, are you just trying to get more money out of me? Um, Mockingjay, I do think it makes sense, because, uh, to to not give a, a lot of that away beyond just already saying oh someone die I mean someone die dies in it but like <laughs> a lot of essentially part one is kind of them sort of in the rebellion trying to get the districts like sort of shaped up for war and it is a lot of okay my favorite aspects of the books but it is a film that's essentially looking at the ethics of propaganda and Katniss, like one of the things that I think makes Katniss interesting is she is a very flawed character like, but she is not someone who should be kind of the symbol for anything but because she was so shrewd at sort of playing this way, it is kind of the thing where she sort of has to become the face of the resistance but I think the the idea that the the books kind of do is her biggest. She's not good at like reading from a script. Basically, you have to give her these sort of moments of passion, like the berries in the arena, those things where you or like her jumping to take, or her like kind of intervening when the guy's getting whipped. Like it, it's sort of those things of how do you build a propaganda campaign over someone who's like volatile and unpredictable and then part two is a bit less well less interesting in ways in that it gets to because that one's more okay we're going into war to the capital now but it does have some fun ideas mostly what does the defense for your city look like when most of the government people have spent decades designing death traps for hunger games because the conceit is suddenly the whole city's <laughs> kind of like a hung, sort of Hunger Game traps. Like, and also yeah. the last one is good because there is an el- part of the things of the books too is they're all written from Katniss's perspective. So, um, as the books go on and she gets increasingly more traumatized there are things where it is kind of difficult to parse what is happening 
uh, if you're just reading it casually. But in movies, it's really easy to, like, you know, besides the movie lets you do stuff like spend more time with this game maker who, in the books, you get kind of his scenes with Katniss and him trying to hint at her that more is going to be going on. But then the movie can actually, like, play with, ooh, who, like, look at this guy, isn't he evil? Right up to the point where you're like, no, wait, he was good? Whoa. And... Likewise, the movie is able to make some aspects of why things in the series ending happens, like, pretty clear. Definitely watch Mockingjay at some point, part ones and two, if we never cover them. Yeah, no. Yeah, kind of like you said, the villain doesn't get a lot, but it's, like, very, yeah, the first scene, very, very good. And then just, like, the little cuts are, like, nice. I like, he, like, I think Donald is, like, I think he's like perfect for like for like young adult novel dystopian antagonist. I think he just has he has that look, he has that demeanor, and he has that voice. Yeah. And he he get it's also because he's not phoning in this performance. Like you you get the menace at him at all times, like whether he's directly threatening her or there of course is the big th- thing cuz the initial conceit of this movie which Actually, one of the things I'll say is, um, oh yeah, going into this, oh, I actually, I guess this is a question for you. Were you aware that they were going to go back into the Hunger Games arena? Like, I'm pretty sure, like, it, it made sense to me that, like, that's probably has to happen. Yeah. At some point. Um, yeah. If for no other reason that it's, like... I don't think if you could do like it would, you could probably do like a whole movie with none of it, but like you have to do have a lot of stuff going on. Well, yeah, because that's the thing. Because I remember when the book comes out, it's like, wait, so how do you do a second book? And initially, they make you think, okay, it's like a the it's the victory tour. It's them having to go to each sort of place, and then Snow gives kind of the ultimatum where he's like, you have to be really convincing that you are desperately in love with him, which I know you're not. Otherwise, like, I'm going to, like, kill everyone you love. And then there's that really powerful scene where, like, they get to the end of the tour, and it's him just quietly shaking his head no. Like, and she's not even looking at him. She's looking at a screen with his face on it. Like, which which makes it, like, a really good choice. Yeah, why would he be close to her at that point? Like, it's... Yeah, oh, man. Like, uh, it is so yeah go on i'm like i guess he is looking at her from where he is because otherwise why would he be shaking his head unless he's just doing that at intervals but <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just shaking his head for no reason um there was okay wait am i crazy or is there like a whole isn't there like a whole thing in the first movie where he talks about sort of the point of the Hunger Games is to give people, like, a little bit of hope, but not too much. Yeah. I yeah. I think that's a speech that you, like, invent for him in, in the things. Yeah, when he's ta- talking to it. Yeah. Basically, the idea of the Hunger Games as a tool is... It is obviously a, a tool of oppression where it's like, okay, we can take your children and we can make them fight to, uh, fight to the death. But then, on the same time... Um, what makes it, because part of the influence for Hunger Games, of course, is like reality television. So it is, there are the people you want to root for, you want to root that hate. 
one of the kids from your district are like gonna make it make it out and they don't go into this as much but you there are kind of like financial benefits for the winning districts like they get packages of food and they get all all this yeah. kind of stuff so but but yeah yeah it's kind of like this this thing where like why what what it's one of those things where like what would be what's more likely that you're going to do this big revolution and change things or just if you win a year you're kind of good yeah and then, of course, the big thing at the end of the first film is Katniss without even thinking about it, because, of course, she does not think about these things, is that she pulls this gambit with the suicide berries, which is, you will save both of us, or you will save none of us? Like, uh, us? And kind of forces their hand, and that sort of encourages people, because they're like, wait only one person is supposed to win these games and now two people have won these games. Like, she stood up to the Capitol and got away with it. Which, I think... And the thing is, like, as Snow, as much as he does not have a ton of screen time, he is sort of looming over the movie at all times, because that is sort of the idea of this movie, of, like, the Capitol and him lashing out because he, for the first time, he feels his power could potentially be threatened. Um... Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was. I just thought it was neat because I feel like I know. Yeah, because I know in this movie there's like, because the major thing for this one is that like, she's like he doesn't really like that he's giving he's she's like sort of being like, a bit of a ripple like she's giving them too much hope maybe. Um, yeah, and I just thought it was. It's just kind of a neat little inversion of the first movie. Yeah. And then the actual arena stuff is good. Good, like it. It is funny watching at the end when, because, but I'm also curious. Like when you were watching it, did you expect that it was just going to play out like a normal Hunger Games? Like, were you expecting that they were going to break out? Or, uh, no, that was actually like rather. I knew that something was going to happen when they have like the scene of like, of um. Of like oh the force field when it gets too much energy it like shuts down or like it's just using a lot of energy so i knew something was going to happen with that but i didn't know it was like they were actually going to get out um i also liked uh <laughs> it's a small thing but um lynn lynn cohen uh playing mags i liked when she sort of <laughs> i like when she walks into the dust because she does it a bit like like sasquatch um, where it's like a very slow lumbering almost. It's not like it's it's honestly I love it. I do intensely love it. Um, it's also weird because it's like I un it's it is a sacrifice in that like Flynn no longer has to carry her. Um, but it's like she didn't need to walk into it. She could have maybe tried walking the other way. I guess. Yeah, um, I think it's just she had to guarantee he think, wouldn't try and like yeah. stop her. That makes sense. It just, yeah, it just, it looks, it's a very, very funny visual. Her just sort of, like, walking into the fog. Um, very, it's very peaceful. Yeah. And, yeah, Ma yeah, R.I.P. Mags, we stand a legend. Um, obviously our friend Mags is a big fan of the character. Um, so. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one's good. I'll say. 
as much as once I get into the game, so maybe it's partly because I have read those books where, and again, like the quarter quell, it's more of a thing in the books. Like this film, they're able to make some stuff that's subtext in the books, like the idea that they're making stuff up, like kind of text. So in this one, it's specifically like him going, hey, what if we just sent them into the arena again? Where in the books, the whole idea with the quarter quell is there's always some crazy twist. So I think the idea was, um, you know, it's one time, it's they sent twice the number of them another time. It's, I forget what the other one was, but then also the idea is Woody Harrelson's character won one at a quarter quell, like he won the 50th one. And there's an inch, and the book I, I'll say, and I get why they cut it, but the book has an interesting thing where it explains kind of his Hunger Games and the tactics that like, uh, that Hamish used to kind of win, which was him essentially realizing he could, and it sort of sets up for it, because I think it's a similar deal where Hamish realizes he can take advantage of this force field and use it against them, and but then he gets punished for it, for it. but it's also sort of setting up that idea at the end of her firing the arrow, which also, as much as I'm like, yeah... The game stuff isn't the juice for me. It's the first 90 minutes, like, leading up to the games. Like, all the stuff. Like, it's very funny when they go on the talk show again. And pretty much everyone is just like, yeah, it's awful this is happening. And it's, and like, Stanley Tucci is just desperately trying to keep things under control. Up, <laughs> up to the point where, like, Pete is like, yeah, it's just too bad about the baby. And they're like, oh! <gasps> Yeah, oh, I, I did like that. I did like how, like, the whole goal of those interviews is to get them to cancel the games. Like, that's what everyone's trying to do. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And I do think the ending bit where it's, you know, they do lean into the confusion where suddenly Peta's gone and it looks like Phoenix up to something and it's a thing of, is she going to kill him or trust him? And she ultimately does make the thing of, like, firing up at this, the thing, like, it is a very great visual, and the, and the cliffhanger it ends on is strong. Though I forget that it still does not really establish what's going on, because in the book they make it a bit more clear, because the book has, has a scene where before they go to the games, Katniss runs into, like, these two people who have been traveling around looking for the fabled District 13, which which was the district that was, like, destroyed in the war, but then you kind of find out, spoiler alert, they're still alive, and that's where the... or District 13 is still out there, and that's kind of where they're going. So, it is kind of nice that the movie ends on that sort of note of ambiguity, even though, once again, I kind of gave stuff away, but, you know, I really <laughs> I really love the Hungry Games, and I'm like, hmm, maybe we should have switched the order of those segments, but, you know... Sometimes it's nice to not have to end on the bummer. <laughs> yeah, end on, end on a, not a nice note. I mean, as nice as it is for like dystopian YA yeah. fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen, but I. This, yeah. Yeah. But YA fiction, we're jazzed about. Like. Yeah. Listen, it seems it's a fun little world because yeah, even though like 12 years of slave of course it's gonna be very high when like we on my like personal movie rankings you can't get excited about that movie just because the nature of what it is like it's 
Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. But with that, do we want any more Hunger Games stuff, or do we want to go on to the rankings? Uh, no, we can go on to the to the rankings. Cool, yeah. So what do you got? Uh, so for my rankings, um, they're all pretty close, except for one. Uh, the bottom one, which is Star Trek. Um, yeah, it's just like, I feel like there's stuff there. Could have been good. But it's like, I don't know. The, <laughs> like, Oz the Great and Powerful could have been a movie that could have been good, except it was. So, <laughs> there's that. Uh, right above that, I think I would have The Hunger Games. Uh, very, very solid movie. Um, enjoyed it much more than the first one. Maybe if I go back and watch the first one, maybe I'll enjoy it more now. Um, but I think this movie, it's just, I feel like The Hunger Games is very much a Deadpool, Deadpool 2 situation where, like, I feel like I just like this one so much more because it just does, it pretty much, it does a, a lot of the similar things from the first movie. I just think it does them better and I like it more, um, you know. Uh, and then right dab in the middle, um, I do have 12 Years a Slave, um, fantastic movie, great performances, never going to watch it again. Um, hopefully it doesn't come up on the podcast very often. Uh, and then for my top two, uh, I think, you know, it's not, it's going to be kind of obvious, but I think I do have uh, Captain Phillips with the Oz, the Great and Powerful above that one. Um, I think Captain Phillips is this wonderful, amazing movie, but like... I don't know. I think the Oz, for what it was, was, like, pretty spectacular. And, like, I think I'm... They're very close, weirdly enough. But I think I'm just basing it off of which one of these am I going to watch again, you know? And it's probably not going to be Captain Phillips. Yeah. And how did yours shake out? Um, I'll say, like you, all of these were pretty close with one notable exception being star trek into darkness um going to the bottom like a ship falling out of the sky um then above that this is tricky for me um i'm going to say um i might have i might have like like, I'm just, part of this is me thinking, what am I saying my number one is this week? And, yeah, because these other four are, like, pretty close. Um, yeah, I'll say Captain Phillips above Star Trek Into Darkness, like, you know, it's, it's very tense, it's very thrilling. I think it's what you said, Ben, where, like, yeah, it's not one that I would just kind of, like, throw on again, whereas... Well, I mean, I'm also not going to throw off in kind of the next film on my list, 12 Years a Slave, like, again, anytime <laughs> soon, but I'd throw Captain Phillips on before that, but like, um, yeah, but, you know, it's like a, a really good film. If I want to see some great performances, yeah, throw, throw that on, it's just, yeah, then above that, 12, 12 Years a Slave, um, very yeah again great movie uh very very powerful very harrowing like 
here, I guess, here's the thing with 12 Years a Slave and Kaseda on the segment. There is definitely so many ways that you could have had the bad version of this movie. And I think, really, it would be worse if this was a film that I would want, actually, I guess there's no version of this film you would want to watch again. And I, <laughs> that's why I'm, I'm like, wait, I'm like, even, I'm like, what's an Oreo is a, a film where I'm like, yeah, 12 Years a Slave, like, wildly entertaining, like, probably, there's no <laughs> version of that movie that exists. <laughs> Could you imagine if that was your letterbox review? <laughs> wildly entertaining. Oh no, I just realized, like, you could just pull out audio of me saying that, but, um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, this isn't, like, a film you just throw on, it's a film you watch, and you take in, and you think about it, and it's high at all the entertainment, that's great, and I am very confused as to why it is here on the MTV Movie Awards. So when you see the other two films I have ranked above this, like, are these films actually better than that? Probably not, but for what this is, which is an MTV Movie Awards podcast, I have Catching Fire and Also Great and Powerful both above those. So yeah, um, above that, two films that, again, I enjoy a lot. Um, hmm, I am, I am trying to see, you know what, yeah. I, for a second, I will have Hunger Games, Catching Fire, just really strong sequel, Donald Sutherland, yeah, like, the first 90 minutes, I am loving this thing, and then the last hour, I'm like, yeah, this is still strong, um, even if it's not as strong as before they get into the arena, but also great and powerful. Um, look, Mila Kunis is not going to be the best villain for me this week, but everything around that, just pristine. Reconsider Oz the Great and Powerful Society is the message I want to send today. Um, but how do the villains stack up? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know what? Really quick before villains, for anyone that wants to challenge my, you know, R putting um, Oz over Captain Phillips, just like try to remember that like Captain Phillips had two amazing actors. And Oz had James Franco. And, like, I that goes into my consideration of how much I have to give a movie credit. That doesn't make but it yeah. sound better. <laughs> no, that's what, I, but that's what I'm saying. You'd think, you know? <laughs> okay, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think to the, to the movie's credit, you know, um, I feel like, yeah, because I feel like, you know, you put, you know, but just for, for anyone out there, you know, um, but yeah, uh, for my villains, it's... I don't even know if it's similar. It's more scattershot. I still do have... Um, oh, it is really tough. Um, I think I am going to have to put Benedict Cumberbatch uh, at the bottom again for Star Trek. This one is much, much closer. Um, like, my major thing is that maybe if he, like, turned green and cackled at some point, he it would have given him a leg up, but he didn't. Uh, unlike our the person I'm putting above him, uh, Mila Kunis, um, I feel like I do like her sort of bubbly innocence at the beginning, 
and I do like her sort of green witchiness at the end. There's just like a weird middle part that isn't the best, and then also the green witch part could have been done better. But, you know, honestly, they gave me a green witch at all. You get points for that. Um, and then for my top three, it is very, very tough. I think I'm going to have to specify that for this one, I'm not going by how evil they are. I'm going to go by like how much I like them as like a villain and as like in their movies. Um, but again, these three are very, very close. Um, oh, so close right now. I'm like shuffling them around in my head and like I'm not, I don't think there's an order in which I don't like these. Um, I think right in the middle I do have um, Michael for 12 Years a Slave. I feel like he is definitely doing the most evil, like doing the worst things. Um, and his performance like isn't bad. I just prefer the performances of the people above. Um, I think above that I do have uh, Donald. Um, not given a lot, but just like really good really good like couple scenes like i hope he plays uh, a greater or equal role in the next couple movies which i hopefully will eventually watch and then at our very top spot i do have um uh barakad uh for captain phillips just doing like i think this one came down to a lot of subtlety in his performance that i really really enjoyed um because he's just like him and yeah him and Tom Hanks are just like they're both playing these people that are like they're in a very high stress situation where they have to be as calm as possible which is very very hard um you know it would be hard in the real situation but they're having to pretend they're in that situation and I think both of them pull it off fantastically cool yeah um yeah so my ranking Again, not that different. Um, at the bottom, hmm, it, it is, it's funny because I'm like, it's funny where I'm like, which one of these is the bottom performance where I'm like, do I like Benedict Cumberbatch more or do I like Mila Kunis more? Um, I will put Benedict Cumberbatch at the bottom just because Mila Kunis benefits from having a better movie to do that in. Then above that, Mila Kunis. Um, then above that, yeah. Hmm. Now it's tricky again. So, I will say, um, I will, I guess, you know what? I will put Donald Sutherland there for, like, the top, the top, it's, like, three really strong villain performances and then two, like, mediocre like bad ones so yeah i'm fine with saying donald sutherland's like the the third one like he's electric yeah i love coriola lena snow um and very excited for well donald sutherland will not be in this one but and you might not realize this but there is a hunger games prequel later this year the ballad of songbirds and snakes which follows a young President Snow, like before he was President Snow, in a much earlier version Ooh. of the games. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's, I'm excited. It's based on a it's based on a book. I, I'm really excited for it because 
it is whenever I'm like, yeah. Like, as, as the freak is like, I just want to see what it's like in that control room as people, like, have to, like, like, rally sponsors and stuff and, like, watch their people in the games. That is what this movie is. And, well, or at least what the book based on it is for part of it. So, very much my jam. Um, then above that, for top two, as much as I, I tease this, I will say, yeah. Michael Fassbender in second with Barkhad Kabi, like, taking it for Captain Phillips. Because, look... As far as, like, evil goes on the show, you're not gonna get, like, you're not gonna get more evil, really, than Edwin Epps here. Um, and, like, Fassbender plays the part very well. But yeah, but, but Barkai Kabi, like, there's a reason I'm the Captain as iconic. Like, he is a revelation, and he is, like, the best villain of this year. So... Yeah, that wraps up uh, Best Villain 2014. Uh, we have now come to Recommendation of the Week. What do you got, Ben? Or should I just always be starting these? Like, Or do you have something? Oh, man. Um, I didn't have something on my mind, but I do. I think I can probably recommend. Um, now that I have uh, completed all of weezer i'm all done now um i'm not sure we probably have already recommended the album or like one of them but i do want to recommend uh records which is a weezer song that is on their season summer album i think it was my favorite song out of all of the seasons um but yeah that is my recommendation but uh, yeah, no, I haven't mentioned it in a while, but I am done listening and rating every Weezer song. Wow, I'll be awaiting your tier list post with great interest. Um, yeah, cool. For my recommendation, um, I'm gonna recommend you people. You know what? Like, there, there's a lot of stuff that kind of came out this past week that I've been working my way through and enjoying. I think the thing I will promote is it's called Lockwood and Co. or Lockwood and Company. It is a Netflix show. I am three episodes into it, but still kind of going going strong. It, it it was like created or made by Joe Cornish, who known for the films Attack the Block and The Kid Who Would Be King. It is based on like a YA book series which I have not read because it was kind of after my time. But basically, the pitch for it is. It's set in kind of an alternate history London, where roughly 50 years ago, there was there was something where vengeful ghosts kind of started roaming the city, and it is a situation where if ghosts touch you, it can be very potentially fatal, but the only people who can kind of see and detect the ghosts are teenagers, so it's become a thing where teenagers are like, ghost hunters but under the supervisions of adults and also their wages go to their parents so it's kind of like a bit of a it's a bit of like a child labor look a bit of a kind of the teens who have inherited the problems of their parents and now have to deal with them and then but this is a show it has stars like ruby stokes of bridgerton fame who well she, not fame she was like one of the younger daughters on bridgerton then she left to go do this 
but basically it's like a group of teenagers and no adult supervises their agency and they go up to stuff and it's well paced and just has some fun sequences and really fun performances and it's really charming and I'm gonna recommend that just to kind of get more eyes on it hopefully um so yeah uh, what do you got to plug this week, Ben? Yep. Uh, as always, I have my Instagram and my Twitter. I have not been active on either since I finished posting a thing uh, every day for a year. Um, yeah, you can find literally all my social links at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash g-h-a-k-k-e-r. And that should be literally everything. My digital footprint in full. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Like a Wolverine and on Twitter at Like a Wolverine. I'm trying to use my Twitter more lately to um, having good results, but you know what? Y you follow me and then you decide. Um, you can find the show on Twitter at GoldPopcornPod. Our Instagram, still need to update that more, past the Golden Popcorn. You can find us on Google at past or uh, email us at pastagoldenpopcorn at gmail.com um, if you like the show tell your friends rate, review, subscribe our theme song is by Matt Samard our artwork is by Ben uh, we are hosted on Friendly Mush they have fun podcasts there and yeah all that's left to do is talk about what's coming next week so next week for Best Villain 2015 the fourth host of Can I Kick It, Andy Germuga, joins us. Um, I feel confident announcing it at this point, so hopefully he doesn't suddenly like cancel, but I, it'll work out. So for 2015, the nominees are... Jillian Bell, 22 Jump Street. Peter Dinklage, X-Men, Days of Future Past. Rosalind Pike, Gone Girl. J.K. Simmons, Whiplash. And the winner... Meryl Streep, Into the Woods. So, another witch oh, winner? Yeah, oh, finally. I'm so happy. I love a good witch. Well, <laughs> it's an evil witch in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be a... It'll, it's sure to be a fun... A fun app. Um, like... Will be a lot of Sondheim talk, I'm sure, uh, and very excited to talk about one of my favorite movies, Gone Girl. So, yeah, thanks for listening. I'll keep passing that golden popcorn, and just remember, we are the captains now of this podcast, <laughs> but we were the captains to start with. <laughs> We are the captains always. We are the captains still. Ah, all, <laughs> always is better. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everybody. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave, like, wildly entertaining. Like, 